if you have your Bible, why don't you turn with me uh, to Second Chronicles chapter 6. And we're going to be there in just a moment. But today, we're starting a brand new series we call, I'm calling Lessons from the Temple Mount. Or, excuse me, that's the name of the sermon. The name of the series is Lessons from Israel. I'm just wondering, how many of you ever been to Israel? A few of you? All right. Okay. Well, I just want to encourage you, if you've never been to Israel, uh, don't let um, you know CNN scare you. Just go. <laughs> it's a great place to go. Amen? But, you know, back in September, myself, as well as 20 others, went to Israel. It was my second time being there. And, uh, man, what a, what a magnificent trip. What an incredible place. And, yes, amen. When you visit the Holy Land, uh, it, it'll just do something for your faith that uh, I, it's hard to explain. Right, Dr. Dr. Londrino? I mean, there's something about it, man. Whenever you get there and you just start seeing everything the Bible talks about, it just starts fueling your faith. Because this whole Bible that we look at and we talk about, it's not a, it's not a story. It's the truth. Amen? I mean, there's stories in it, but it's true stories, right? And so when you visit the Holy Land, there's many spiritual lessons that you can learn about God, about yourself, and about God's dealings with His people. And you, whenever you go there and you see the sights, it begins to, to ring true. Everywhere you go is a site that commemorates and points back to the history of the amazing stories of the Bible. I mean, you know, there's a lot of them, right? And, and each place contains a lesson that we can learn that would help us in our everyday life. And, uh, you know, um, for example, like when you go to, we went to Mount Carmel, where Elijah called down fire from heaven, and then Jezebel scared him into a cave. We went to uh, the Valley of Elah, where David defeated Goliath. And we went to the Sea of Galilee where Jesus calmed the storm and he ministered to his disciples right around that, that lake. We went to the Gordon tomb, which is believed to be where Jesus was buried. Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. There's so many incredible places that are so important to biblical history. And there you are, you're in Israel and you're standing there and you're just taking it all in, and you're connecting the physical location with the Bible story and what we've learned all of our Christian life. And it's like, wow, man, you just have spiritual revival, amen? You know, the first time we went, one of the highlights was that we went to where they believe is the upper room, and we were on the top, uh, on the top of the building, and, um, you know, some of the, some of the issues with Israel is somebody says, this is the upper room. And somebody says, this is the upper room. And you say, I don't know where the upper room is, but I know we ride around it right now. But we were up there and we were praying and we we're just thinking about the day of Pentecost. And all of a sudden we're praying and just thanking God for his spirit. And the wind just started blowing through. I mean, gave us all the free zones. You know what I mean? I mean, it was just an amazing thing. But one particular place we visited, which was a highlight, was Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which is one of the most amazing places you could ever visit, right? And uh, we got a picture here of Jerusalem. And this is Jerusalem. Have you seen this picture before? This is 
uh, we're on top of the Mount of Olives and we're looking down on Israel. And that wall you see right there is uh, the Temple Mount. And, um, and so this is Israel. And when you go there and they start pointing out all the different places around Jerusalem, it's an amazing thing. The name Jerusalem has a plural meaning representing two Jerusalems, an earthly Jerusalem and a, and a heavenly Jerusalem. It's the capital city of the ancient Israel, and it's the spiritual center of all Christianity right there in Israel, right? It's where Jesus rode in on the donkey to start his earthly ministry. It's the place where Jesus carried his cross and endured his suffering. It's the place where Jesus was buried and resurrected. It's where the church experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, as we just mentioned. Jerusalem is a very special place for God personally declared about Jerusalem in Second Chronicles 6, 6. But now I have chosen Jerusalem as the place for my name to be honored, and I have chosen David to be king over my people Israel. So Jerusalem became the spiritual center of Israel, and really it's the spiritual center of the world. It's the spiritual center of Christianity, the place where God chose to honor his name. It's in Jerusalem. And so nowhere else can you go in the world that has, is significant and as special as when you go to Jerusalem. And one of the primary reasons Jerusalem is the spiritual center of the world is because of the Temple Mount, also called or known as Mount Moriah. And so, you know, the, the Temple Mount is the wall. You see the wall coming around there? This is Mount Moriah or the Temple Mount. And it's kind of hard to see and, and, to, and to, to really see the, the topography of what it is there because of all the buildings and stuff. But there's actually a mount there where this temple is seated. And that is where amazing things happen. And that's where the temple mount is where King Solomon built his temple. Remember King Solomon's temple, right? And so, you know, um, I don't know. So, on the Temple Mount was the temple, which is not, this is not Solomon's temple, but this is where it stood. And so right there on that Temple Mount is years of history, all kinds of Bible stories. And so when remember when God spoke to David, or David wanted to build God a temple because they were worshiping him in a tent. And David's like, man, we're living in houses and, and, and God's house is a tent. I want to build a temple. And the Lord said, no, you've shed too much blood. Your son Solomon is going to build the temple, right? And so Solomon built the temple and Solomon spared no expense in building that magnificent temple. And you know, it, it was built with special woods like like cedar and cypress and olive wood. And it was decorated with elaborate carvings of cherubim, palm trees, flowers that were overlaid with gold. In the temple, the entire temple was adorned with tons of silver and gold. Remember, whenever uh, it was destroyed, people came and plummaged all the, the, sil the special or the, the special metals out of the building. 
But very special precious stones were used to build a temple. In fact, the stones were shaped outside of the city because they weren't allowed to use hammers or axe or, or iron tools. They weren't even allowed to make any noise. It was a holy building that they were, that they were erecting on the temple mount. Amen. And so then, but one of the most important details of the temple was the fact that the temple housed the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant. And in 1 Kings, in fact, if you read 1 Kings 6, 7, and 8, you'll see how the temple was erected. But when you read 6, 7, and 8, that picture that I just showed you, you can go to Israel right now, go to Jerusalem, and that is where the Solomon built that temple. Isn't that amazing? Right? And but in 1 Kings 8 and 1, Solomon then summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral families of Israelites. And they were to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant to the temple for its location in the city of David, also known as Zion. So all the men of Israel assembled before King Solomon at the annual festival of shelters, which is held in early autumn in the month of Ethium. When all the elders of Israel arrived, the priests picked up the ark the priests and the Levites brought up the ark of the Lord along with the special tent and all the sacred items that had been in it. Therefore, or there before the ark, King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep, goats, and cattle that no one could keep count. Then the priests carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and they placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim and the cherubim spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark of the covenant with the poles. And these poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the temple's main room, the holy place, but not from the outside. They're still there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai, which the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they left the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The temple represented and housed the glorious presence of God. And so it was a special place where God's name was honored and His power was demonstrated. And after Solomon dedicated the temple with, to God with sacrifices and prayer, Solomon asked God to answer prayers that were offered towards the temple. And he says this in 1 Kings 8.41, In the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear of you. They will come from distant lands because of your name, for they will hear of your great name, and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray towards this temple, they hear from heaven where, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of the earth will come to know and fear you just as your own people Israel do. They too will know that this temple I have built honors your name. So you can see the temple was a special place. And this passage of scripture that I just read is really a prophetic prayer of Solomon, which is still being fulfilled today. Literally, hundreds and thousands of people go to Israel and they go to what's called the Wailing Wall. Are you familiar with the Wailing Wall? 
And this is the Wailing Wall right here. And this is a picture we took on the first trip. And But this is the Wailing Wall. And, and the Wailing Wall is also known the Western Wall. And it's considered the holiest site in, in, Judaism, in Judaism because it is believed to be the only remaining part of the last temple destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. It's called the Wailing Wall because many Jews make a yearly pilgrimage, usually during Passover, to pray and lament the loss of their sacred temple. And so when you see this on TV, when you see people gathering at the Wailing Wall, its roots are back in biblical history. They're right there in your Bible. And once you understand the significance of it and you see it on TV, it just, it just fuels your faith and say, man, Solomon asked the Lord that when people, foreigners come from afar and they come to this place and they turn towards this temple and they pray, Lord, would you hear their prayer and answer their prayer? First Kings 8, 44 says, if your people go out where you send them to fight their enemies, and if they pray to the Lord by turning towards this city you have chosen and towards this temple I've built to honor your name, then hear their prayer from heaven and uphold their cause. See, Jerusalem in the Temple Mount represents a very special place in history. Amen? And so it was the main place where God was honored and worshiped, and it was the place that represents the Israelites' connection and relationship with God. But here is the spiritual lesson. The second time I went, I just, the first time, it was just overwhelming just experiencing it. The second time, I felt like I was able just to absorb a little bit more because it wasn't so, I, I kind of knew what to expect in a lot of the sites. But I felt God speak to me while we were visiting that Temple Mount, some lessons that I'd like to share with you. Three lessons from the Temple Mount. The, the first one is this. The importance of keeping your heart right with God. How many of you know that it's not just good enough to pray a prayer one time and say, Lord, would you forgive my sins? But it's important to keep walking with God. And when I got to the temple and I was just observing it, I was reminded of the fact. The magnificent temple Solomon built was later destroyed, remember, by the Babylonians under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. But then later, it was rebuilt by, by Zerubbabel. And then, and then it was restored by King Herod the Great in 538 B.C. And so just as the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied in Ezra 1 and 3, the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and sent it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem, and may your God be with you. It was the second temple that was built, that was the temple that was present during the time of Jesus, the second one. And it was later destroyed once again by Titus and the Romans in 70 AD, just like Jesus prophesied. 
You're going to be familiar with this, but in, in Matthew 24, remember, in Matthew 24 is whenever the Lord says, these are the signs that we're getting close to the end. And he says, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. Before he gets into all that, in Matthew 24, in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. They were impressed with the temple. And they said, Jesus, look at this. Look how magnificent this temple is. And Jesus said in verse 2, Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And what, did ha what happened in 70 AD? Exactly what Jesus prophesied. It was destroyed. The temple, the place that represents the presence, provisions, and protection of God was destroyed, not just once, but twice. And so what we see there in that picture, Doug, can you throw that picture up there again? The one of the temple? I mean, watch it. He's throwing it up there. It's coming. There it is. Well, this, just stay there for just a moment. This is actually a model of the temple of how they believe it looked at the time. And so you see the outer court. The inner court is when you go through that little that door right in the middle and you go in there. The, the bigger place, that's the holy of holies. That's where the presence of God, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only the priest could go into that place one time a year. And they would tie a cord to him because if he went and defiled, he wouldn't, lie, he wouldn't make it. And they would have to pull him out. I mean, you know, that make you, that make you live right with God right there. But Doug, can you go back to the other picture of the Temple Mount? See this, this, these walls that you see here, that's not Solomon's temple. And it wasn't the Herodian temple. It wasn't the second temple. Underneath what you see there is the, is the remains of the first two temples. So when you go there and you say, wow, this is not the temple that Solomon built. This is not the restored temple. This is, this is what's left. And there is a message there. There's a message in that story. The, you know, uh, in, when Jesus left the temple and he said, not one stone will be left on the other. You see, you see that dome? That's a Muslim mosque. And so when you go there and you know that this is such a holy site, this is the place that God chose. This is where Abraham went when he left. This is where he, this is where he sacrificed Isaac. This was a, this is a very special place. And what's sitting on the top of it? A Muslim mosque. And when you see that, it just grieves, it's grievous. And so what is a Muslim mosque sitting on God's holy site? And so I was just contemplating that, you know? Why was the temple destroyed twice and nation of Israel led into Babylonian and then later Roman captivity? The three main reasons Israel's sacred temple was destroyed. And the first one is this, because of their disobedience to God and His commands. In Ezekiel 39 and 23, it says, The nations will then know why Israel was sent away to exile. It was punishment for sin. For they were unfaithful to their God, 
Therefore, I turned away from them and let their enemies destroy them. And I turned my face away and punished them because of their defilement and their sins. So what this scripture is saying is that God allowed Israel to be taken captive captive and lose their freedom and place of worship because of their disobedience. Are you tracking with me? A second reason why Israel's sacred temple was destroyed is because of their rebellion and refusal to follow the will of God. In Judges 21-25, it says, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right, seemed right in their own eyes. So they were, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And so they were living in obstinance and they refused to follow the will and the ways of God. In their spiritual rebellion, they did what seemed right in their own eyes instead of what was right in God's eyes and they refused to follow God's will. There's a lesson there. The third reason why Israel's sacred temple was destroyed is the Israelites fell into idolatry and worshipped other gods. Remember, they started erecting altars everywhere. In 2 Kings 17, 13, it says, Again and again, the Lord had sent his prophets and seers to warn both Israel and Judah. Turn from all your evil ways. Obey my commands and decrees. The entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I gave you through my servant, the prophets, but the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn as their ancestors who had refused to believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and covenant he had made with their ancestors. They despised all his warnings. They worshiped worthless idols, so they became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's commands not to imitate them. See, the reason why the temple was destroyed and they were led into Babylonian captivity is because of their spiritual condition. This is God's people. Are you tracking with me? Are you filling in the blanks right now? And so, listen, the reason the second temple was destroyed was because of the same reasons. Remember, in Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your, you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Wow. The reason the second temple was destroyed was for the same reason the first temple was destroyed. The Jewish people allowed their hearts to drift away from God. They, they were God's people. He had delivered them from Egypt, but somewhere along the way, they got distracted. They allowed everything around them to, to steal their passion in their heart. And all of a sudden, they begin to, be, begin to build idols. You know, whenever we think about idols, it's like, man, I don't have anything, any carved image at my house that I have an altar to that I bow down to. No, I think in the Western world, idols are a little bit different. They're like cars and houses and stuff. Right? And so we have to be careful in our relationship with God. And whenever I was standing there on the Temple Mount, I thought, wow, here's a lesson that I don't want to forget. Just because I served God yesterday doesn't mean I'm serving God today. Come on, are y'all with me? 
See, the Israelites spiritually drifted and began disobeying God's commands, refusing to follow and to submit to His will by living in idolatry. And here's the life application. The history of the two destroyed temples, in my mind, is a picture of someone who gets delivered from Egypt, salvation. But somewhere along the way, they allow their heart to drift away from God and they don't keep their heart right with God and their life begins to fall apart. A destroyed temple is a picture. You know, I, I didn't have a chance to get permission, but you know, not long ago I was talking to a brother and, and he asked me to pray with him. And he was struggling with, with, a, with a personal situation going on in his life that had gained control over his life. Now this, this guy had this trouble before and he gave his life to Christ and for years he was set free. And all of a sudden now he's struggling with the same problem he had many years before. And he said, man, I, I want to be delivered. I want to be healed. Would you pray for me? And so we prayed together. And he said to me, his testimony to me was, I got out from under the Lord's covering. He allowed his heart to drift from God. And all of a sudden he was dealing with things that he thought were done. You see, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. See, this first lesson is that it's important that we manage our relationship with God. You know, God, he, you know, he, he doesn't, thank God he doesn't do to us like he did to Ananias and Sapphira. You're a liar. Boom, you're dead. Man, I think if a few of us start dying in here, I believe it would be, I need to repent. I need us, I need to confess, right? But listen, we shouldn't take God's mercy for granted. We shouldn't take the fact that God doesn't strike us dead like he don't care about how we live. Come on, I'm preaching now. Come on, we need to live our life in holiness and purity. We need to live our life. Come on, we don't want our temple destroyed. Amen. The second lesson from the Temple Mount is this. There's a high price to pay when we allow our hearts to drift from God. There's a high price to pay. See, the destruction of the temple represents, in my mind, three major blessings that the Israelites lost. The first one is this. They lost the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God that was in the temple was lost. Nobody knows where it's at. Some people speculate. But, you know, really, you can't go take a trip and go find the Ark of the Covenant right now. It's out there somewhere. It represented the presence of God. You know, listen, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, this was David's prayer in repentance. Psalm 51. Created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David understood the price of his heart drifting away from God. And he lost the presence of God in his life. See, I'm sure if David walked into church, you would have not known what was going on in secret. Nobody might have known, but David knew what was going on. And he knew that he lost the presence of God in his life. Folks, the most precious thing we can have is the presence of God in our life. 
Come on, are y'all with me this morning? David understood that he needed to get it. And listen, the loss of God's presence in your life means more than God's presence. The loss of God's presence means you're going to lose his peace. It means you're going to lose his joy. It means you're going to lose his freedom. Remember in verse 12, he said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Come on, how many of you, how many of you experience the joy of the Lord? And that's the most precious thing that you can have is the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the freedom of the Lord. Amen. And so we don't want to lose that, right? The second blessing the Israelites lost, they lost the provision of God. And remember, God promised Solomon that their prayer offered toward the temple would be heard in 1 Kings 9. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord at the royal place and he achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him in, in Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. This is God's promise to Solomon's request to always provide for his people. But then God sets the condition of provision. And he says in 1 Kings 9, 6, But if you on your you or your sons turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I've given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I've given them and I will reject the temple I've consecrated for my name. And Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among the people. Is that what happened to Israel, saints? It's exactly what happened. See, the reason the temple was destroyed and the provisions of God stopped was because of the Israelites' heart that turned away from God. And it's the same thing that happens when we allow our heart to turn away from God. You know, listen, Israel was in Egypt. They were under oppression. God delivers them. They're doing good. They're in the promised land. You would think, now they're going to serve God. No. They turned from God and they ended up in another Egypt called Babylon under, under Babylonian captivity. They're oppressed once again. See, this, these stories are a lesson for us. They're meant to teach us. We don't want to live in Egypt. We don't want to live in Babylon. We want God's provision. And the way we have God's provision in our life it's to keep our heart right with him. Isaiah 59, 2 says, it's your sins that cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he's turned away and you will not listen anymore. The third blessing the Israelites lost was they lost the protection of God. Remember, uh, the Babylonians came in and took over. Later, the second temple, the Romans came in and took over. And so they, they, they lost their freedom. They lost their protection from their enemies. Proverbs 14, 13 says, The backslider in heart will have his feel of his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied with this. That word, backsliding in heart, means an animal climbing a hill, and at some point in time, he doesn't climb anymore, and he starts going backwards. Backsliding. We never stay at the same place very long spiritually. 
We're either growing in our relationship with God or we're sliding backwards in our relationship with God. It's our responsibility to not backslide, but to keep progressing in our relationship with God. God holds us responsible. Are y'all with me? God wants us to seek him and to continue to follow him, right? Here's the takeaway lesson. You got to keep producing. You got to keep following the Lord, right? There's a high price to pay when you allow your heart to drift away from God. You know, every once in a while, I'll go to LPCC with chap and teach or, or be a part of something. You know, it's happened on more than one occasion now. I'm in Lafayette Parish Correctional Center and I'm walking down the hall and I hear, Pastor Todd. What you doing in here? It's people I know that were in church. It's happened more than one occasion. You know what? It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Folks, Jesus didn't die on the cross, shed his blood so we can enjoy a day of victory, a week of victory, a month of victory. He died on the cross so we can live a lifetime of victory. He died on the cross so we could not just have temporary freedom. He died on the cross so we can have permanent freedom. Amen. Listen, I'm not telling you that story to judge them. No, I, it, it grieves my heart because it's like, no, what? Come on. You need to get out of here. You need to get back your life on track. Then you need to serve the Lord, man. Stay out of Babylon, stay out of Egypt, and stay in the promised land and serve the living God. Amen. Yes, amen. The third lesson from the Temple Mount is this. Thank God, one greater than the temple is here. Amen. That's what Jesus said. He said, one greater than the temple is. Who is the one greater than the temple? What's his name? His name is Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that's greater than the temple. When Jesus died on the cross, he established a new covenant, greater than the first covenant, right? In Mark 15, 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, you're familiar with that story, right? The, remember the Holy of Holies, the picture we just showed you. The Holy of Holies was... The, what separated the holy place from the holy of holies was what they think was like a two foot thick curtain. And when Jesus breathed his last, the veil, the curtain was torn, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. Nobody got up there and started tearing. And even Schwarzenegger couldn't have torn that curtain. You see, but the curtain was believed to be symbolic of a new covenant. Because remember, behind the curtain was the presence of God. Amen. And so the curtain tearing in two when Jesus died was symbolic of a new covenant that Jesus was initiating. Thank God we're in a new covenant. Amen. Amen. And part of the purpose of the temple, remember, uh, I didn't mention much about it, but it was for sacrifice. 
And, and every, every time somebody came to the temple, they had to either buy some kind of animal there, or they had to bring an animal with them, and they had to sacrifice it, and they had to, and that atoned for their sin, or covered their sin, not atoned, covered their sin, it covered, it, it reestablished their relationship with God. And so the Kendron Valley is right next to the temple, and they, they say that the Kendron Valley flowed with blood whenever all the sacrifices were made. Well, thank God we ain't got a sacrifice anymore because there was a lamb that was unblemished that died. His name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He shed his blood to cover our sins once and for all. Amen. And so now we have a new covenant. Amen. We no longer need to sacrifice animals to cover our sins. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11.25 says this. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. How many of you grateful that Jesus died on the cross? Amen. So God changed the place he would communicate with us and the way he would relate to us. And I want to read you these verses here in 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will live in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. Come on, I'm telling you. The new covenant reminds us that we are the temple of the living God. Amen. And listen, we don't have to go to Israel or go to Jerusalem. Amen. Or the temple mount to enjoy his presence, his provisions, and his protection. Thank God the temple is right here. In this new covenant, God says to us, I'm going to be your father and you will be my sons and daughters. Do you know that God loves us? He loves us so much and he takes no joy in us being in captivity. He wants us to live in the promised land of freedom and provision and blessing in his presence. Amen. First Corinthians 316. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are the temple. Praise the Lord. I mean, doesn't that give you a new appreciation for who you are as a child of God? Just like Jerusalem and the Temple Mount is sacred, you are sacred. You are special. God chose 
to live in you. That's not a small thing. The creator, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who uses the earth as his footstool. Come on. The one who measures all the waters of the earth with one span says, I'll be your God and I'll be on your side and I'm going to live in you. And you're not going to have to get through this life all by yourself. I'm going to go along with you. And when you fall, I'm going to pick you up. Whenever you're tired, I'm going to give you strength. Come on. Whenever you're discouraged, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way because I live right on the inside of you. Amen. Thank God we don't have to come to church to experience the presence of God. But wherever you go, church went. Wherever you live is a temple. Wherever you go is the presence and provision and protection of the Lord. Amen. So whether you're at the bottom of the sea, or you on the moon, or you on an oil rig somewhere, or you in the middle of a, t- you know, some some bad situation, you got to know that the divine Creator is with you, and He's going to oversee you, and He's going to make sure that you do all right. Man, I tell you what, that's worth shouting about right there. Amen. Amen. Now here's the key: you must keep your heart right with God. You must get your heart right and keep your heart right with God. See, this is the responsibility for us. God says, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be your father. I'm going to be with you. But you need to keep your heart right. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that somebody else is responsible to keep your heart right with God. It's our individual responsibility to keep our heart right with God. You can have a godly wife, but you've got to be a godly husband. You can have a godly husband. you got to be a godly wife. Your parents can love God and serve God. But listen, God has no grandkids. you got to figure it out on your own. you got to keep your heart right with God. Amen? And listen, you could be a Christian and your heart not be right with God. You can be a Christian and be on your way to the wilderness. You got to keep your heart right. How do you keep your heart right? You got to repent of your disobedience, of your rebellion. You have to you have to turn around and get your life back on track. And the Bible says whenever you repent, all of a sudden things begin to change. You see, thank God we don't have to live 70 years in Babylon. We don't have to live seven seconds in Babylon. All we have to say is, Lord, forgive me. Amen? And this was the problem with the church of Ephesus. Their hearts had turned away. And the Lord says, you're doing all this great stuff, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. And so what does he tell them? You need to repent. You need to repent and do the things you did at first. See, The message of repentance is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because it gets us back in position to enjoy the peace of God, the love of God, and the presence of God. I don't want my temple to be destroyed. I don't want it to be a relic. I want it to be housing the glory and the presence of God. Amen? Would you do me a favor and bow your head with me for just a moment? So if you're a Christian, 
How do you get your heart right with God? You repent and turn. You turn away from what in your life is not right. God's a merciful God and he forgives. But if you're not yet a Christian, God wants you to become one. He wants you to be one of his children. But you have to repent. The scripture says, repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Nobody can repent for us. Nobody can surrender our heart to God for us. It's a decision we all have to make. If you're here today and you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. I want you to encourage to just acknowledge, God, I need to repent. I need to surrender my life to you. I need forgiveness. If, if you feel like that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. I want to just lead you in a simple prayer. And I believe that God's going to hear your prayer and forgive you. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just say, Todd, would you pray? Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Just raise your hand. Just hold it up. Right back here. I see your hand. Just hold your hand. Right, ma'am. Right here, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Just hold your hand up. Just say, that's me. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Can we just pray this prayer together? Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, for shedding your blood so I could be forgiven. Lord Jesus, I repent. I want to turn from my wicked ways, from my evil ways, from my sinful ways. I want to get my life on track. And I ask you to forgive me and empower me to live the Christian life. Thank you, Jesus, for being merciful. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the privilege of being one of your temples that your presence lives in. I love you, Lord, and I'm grateful for your grace to me today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. And would you, the rest of you just stand? And uh, those of you that pray that prayer, there's a card in the pew that says, I made a decision. We have a gift for you. If you'll just fill that card out and bring it to the, to the info center, and we'll, we'll give you that gift. And we won't harass you or anything. We're not, you know, we're not trying to hound you. But we just want to give you some tools to help you get started. And we want to pray for you by name, okay? Now, how about the rest of us? How many of you feel like, man, I want, I want to stay. I want to stay on the right track. I want to stay in the blessing and provision and protection and grace of God. Amen. Come on, let's pray together and let's ask God to help us. Father, thank you for your grace today. Thank you for your forgiveness today. Thank you, Lord God. Maybe maybe you just need right there where you are. Just say, man, I need to shift some things. I just need to repent. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for allowing my heart to go astray. Lord, I'm coming back today. I'm surrendering afresh and anew today. Lord Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to serve for you. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the grace to stay on track today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, God bless you. You're dismissed. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. If not, be blessed. Have a great day. You're dismissed.